stinking rad, bro. Stinking rad. No, it's totally stinking rad, guys. Totally stinking rad, guys. Yeah, well, not. Yeah. Ta 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 That guy is so quick. He's quick. Clint. Quick and quick and fast. We were hanging out with. I mean, with Dave, obviously, at the end of the crocodile obviously. thing. You know what I found is awesome? I don't know. You can try this if you want. I put, this at, red. I put it at full height and okay. just stuck it between my freaking crotch, and I can freaking chill here, and it's super like... It's like talking to your wiener all night. <laughs> if it was as long as this is, then yeah. <laughs> if it was like that, I, uh, things that my life would be a lot easier. My wiener was, is not adjusting. You gotta twist. Hold, hold the base. You gotta hold the base. You gotta hold it at the base oh. and then twist at the, not not the base base, but the base of the of the shaft. You gotta hold the base of the shaft and then twist, twist the top. Twist. Bring okay. it up above the table so I can see it. Just throw it up on so the can table. Help. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, hold the shaft. There you I, go. Now I, you gotta I loosen. Think, I, I gotta bring it up to full height, extend full extension, and then twist it back down. Yeah. And then once you got that, then you. Ooh. You know, things are working out. Ooh, it's ticklish on the bottom. Okay. This is going to be one of those episodes that's like, it's, this is going to be like episode number two with the crickets going off. Crickets? They're not on my microphone. No one will hear. Yeah, so at the end of that uh, reptile sanctuary thing we were at, just an example of Clint's quickness. Um, Dave's like, well, if that happens, then I quit. And immediately Clint's like, probably for the best. <laughs> it's just I mean I just don't know how he does it even when we were there I think you heard him in the beginning when our our guide for the night Caitlin <coughs> said that she uh, met her boyfriend at a convention but that he lives in Atlanta and she lives in Phoenix and he goes well that's that's the most conventional unconventional relationship I've ever heard of like immediately and then he goes, I'm such a dad. But it's like, why is his brain firing on so many cylinders at once that he could come up with these silly quips? And if he has that kind of brain, I mean, he should be competing with Elon Musk or something. You know what I mean? But instead, he just entertains us on YouTube. Well, he's also teaching, like, he's, he's a professor and stuff. So he's doing brain stuff with his brain. I'm not saying he's doing just, brain he's stuff with his brain. I, I, I'm saying... I'm saying the things he chooses to do with his brain, well, even his teaching stuff, I think, entertains him. He's entertaining himself with his brain. Sure. He could be changing mankind. Oh, He's I pretty see. smart. He is pretty smart. He is pretty smart. Smart enough to not want to get involved in having to try and change all of humanity. Something to be said for that. Wow. I don't, that just kind of blew my mind. Well, it's just... If you're hard. smart, stop trying whoa, whoa, whoa. to change. If you're smart, don't light that entire cigar on fire at once. Humanity. <laughs> don't stick it in the flame. You what? turn nugget. No, no, okay, what? do whatever you want, actually. This do whatever exactly you want. This is exactly what you were doing. You no, no, that's not exactly what I was doing. I promise you that. <laughs> All right, teach me. Teach me. So you just want to For toast everybody. it. You just want... I mean, it's kind of late well, now. Yeah, you well, blackened the entire freaking tip. So you got you see how you got half of this all yeah. black and burnt? Yeah. Well, I would have never done that. I mean, the I held, flame was I'm a little this bit distance back that. over here, you know, and just kind uh, of yeah. toasting it. Wow, like that, that thing's pretty intense, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So if you pay attention to what you're doing, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. This it'll be fine. It's gonna oh, be fine. Wow, you ruined it. No, huh? <laughs> I think not. Oh.
So I've been looking forward to this trip. Um, maybe at more least so. for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Since but, our last trip here to Phoenix. Yeah, but the, yeah, that's right. We recently did one of these, but for whatever reason, I found myself looking forward to it even more. And I think it's because, well, because you know I, how cool the Cavenders were. Yeah, I know how cool the Cavenders were. I know how cool hanging out with you and Dave and Clint is. Noah coming this time, excellent. Yes. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, and I just so many. I'm so over interacting with people through the internet. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I want, COVID really got to you. I guess it's just it's not even COVID so much. It's more like just how if you go to look to interact with people on a daily basis mm-hmm. through the internet, which is yes. what I do. Mm-hmm. It starts to get old real fast. It starts to get hard to filter out the stuff that brings me down about interacting with people on the internet. And I know when I'm here with you guys that it's just going to be, like, whether it's talking (coughs) crap, whether it's lifting each other up, like, it's almost the same. Like, we know when we're talking crap to each other, it's like, we're just, like, pushing each other, you know. Because we love each other. Yeah, in in a positive direction. And... I don't have to question whether or not that's what's happening when we're together yeah. and we're hanging out in person. Well, and so I, that's why I've been looking forward to it so much. I think that, you know, like, I mean, I started the YouTube thing to try to teach people about this specific niche because there wasn't a lot of information. I think that whether it was for educational purposes like me or for you to kind of like share your family really, your experience, your life experience with people. Um, I think that we do it so that we can connect with people who are interested in in sharing our, our experience, our life experience. And instead, what you end up getting are people who are interested in telling you what they don't like about your life experience. That can, that can happen. I, yeah, luckily, shakes, I don't get a whole bunch of that. But. Yeah, it shakes you up. Sometimes, sometimes even people who think they're being supportive of you drain you when you provide content for for public consumption. Yes, that does happen. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because that definitely happens. Yeah. So, um, I'll give you I'll give you a recent example. Uh, Kimberly answers my general like reach out reptiles page stuff which is where we try to send people like if you've never contacted us and you go to <clears throat> reach out reptiles on let's say facebook uh or instagram and you dm us then kimberly answers those and if there's it's something that i need to answer she goes hey garrett can you answer this one right but but we kind of filter them through because there's a lot of common answers that she can give great well there was a guy that has been for the last couple of years corresponding with me through my personal um, Facebook page, which I, I take messages there too. It's not a big deal. <clears throat> he's never bought anything. He's not like a customer or anything. But he he always has a question or an idea or something to say and generally like a pretty nice guy, but maybe a little bit overbearing in the way that like, you know, the people who contact you at 2 a.m. on Saturday and if you haven't got back to them by Monday, they're a little bit upset. I feel like you vent about these people on a regular basis. Do I really? Yeah. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> I, I, you know, I generally enjoy interacting with people, but 
But you you have to consider someone else's life a little bit, a little bit. No, that's know? not necessary. Well, I, I feel not in today's world. So no, well, let me finish. Well, let me finish the story, and and you guys can be the judge. Maybe I'm a jerk. I don't have I don't have multiple personalities. Of, oh, that's right, we're recording. Sorry. <laughs> you don't have multiple personalities, do I? What did well, you, you say? said you guys you guys can be the judge, and I was like, oh, I was like wait, 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 yeah, there's not even. Well, <laughs> you and everyone else. There's an Indonesian word for that, but we don't have one in English. So, yins. <laughs> um, yins can be the judge. <clears throat> it actually works perfectly. I like yins even better now. Um, so, anyway, they've been corresponding me with a couple of years and just randomly asking me questions and and for advice or telling me their ideas. And then they somehow wrote to the Reach Out Reptiles page instead of my personal one without understanding that they had done that. And Kim answered, and he asked a question, and and she kind of thought it was like a new customer type of thing or something or like a new person reaching out to us. And so she gave him kind of like a very standardized answer. And he's like, well, I, I just asked you about that, and you told me this. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. You probably talked to Garrett. This is Kim. And he's like, well, what the bloop? You know what I mean? And he kind of went off on her. And he's like, for all these years, I thought I was talking to Garrett. And now I find out I've just been talking to a stranger all this time. And he goes, and so to talk to Garrett, apparently I have to super chat on his live stream on Wednesdays or else he won't be my friend. And she's... (laughs) Man, I screenshot it and no, sent it to me and said, "Can you answer this?" It's like, you, what, why, what, what's wrong with your life that you need to like snap out of somebody like that? I don't. I don't something wrong with you at that point, not whatever. whatever. Well, he actually realized it. No, and now you're going to make me vent about stuff like that. Just like, but this is what I'm talking about. This is what this is the stuff that drags you down. So you know, just to to kind of like bookend the story or whatever, I reached out to him on my personal page and I said, "Hey." I have a very confused customer service person who has like one message from you and said that you were upset about something. Is there something I can do for you? And he's like, no, disregard that message, please. Thank you. Goodbye. And so I think he just realized that he accidentally talked to two different people and then thought. But but the deeper thing is like, it, oh, I forgot to mention this. Part of what he mentioned to Kim was like, well, I was definitely going to buy a Superdor from you this year, but now I never will, and I won't even re- recommend Reach Out Reptiles to anyone again. Just shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? God. And it's like, so, so I... People like that, dude. Yeah, and and it's a it's a one-sided relationship in people's minds sometimes, which the whole point of why I get on YouTube, this is, I think, different between you and me, is so that people can get to know me before I'm able to get to know them. So that if I meet them at a reptile show or in the real world someday, um, you know, they'll already kind of know who I am and where I'm coming from. And and we can kind of skip the small talk and just talk about whatever they want. So I like it. It's like a a relationship accelerator. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I I enjoy that, you know. Um, And it's, it's, I just get to get to know them. So I do a lot of listening at these reptile shows. To, to people who already know everything that I've had to say. But, you know, this person demands that I talk to them instead of have dinner with my family or that I talk to them instead of take a vacation or that I, or, or whatever, you know. And then if I don't, or if someone else fields their general inquiry, they're upset. 
Well, here's where they want here's full where the access. balance. Here's what I think part of where the balance gets out of place is like. There's, I feel like there's this feeling people feel like you owe them some of their time because they spent some of their time like consuming your content or spent some time towards that's, you. That's yeah, okay, I can see that. And but that's not scalable for you returning that amount of time back to everybody. It's not <laughs> it's, equitable. No, it's not. I don't know what that word means apparently, or but it's not even possible. Like, yeah, right. For every right. single person that spent 10 minutes on one of your videos, you can't give 10 minutes back to every single person that spent 10 minutes on that video. Right. Because it doesn't, because you're one person, that's however many people watch that one video. And, and if I hear people talk about, and I'm not like really comparing myself to like a celebrity or something, but, but it is the same concept. You hear about the person who like met their favorite celebrity in real life one time, and that person didn't have very much time for them. And they're like, they're actually a really jerk. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yes, I've had that exact thing happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I've I've heard it about because like my dad's a producer. I grew up. I I knew a lot of celebrities, and and they knew us, and they'd be with us, and they'd be talking to us, and they're just with their friends in public or whatever. And someone else would come up and talk to them, and many of them were very gracious. You know, but sometimes they're, like, just eating breakfast or something with their friend. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, great, thank you. And they kind of just, like, politely dismiss the person. And the person will be so upset because they're like, I have been in love with you for 10 years. And all you can do is politely dismiss me. That is not fair. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. It's such a weird. So, anyways, th- this was all going back to you looking forward to this trip because you get to see people in real person, in, in real place. I don't even know how to deal with those situations because I am appreciative that people watch our videos, consume our content, refer our company. Those are great things. That's what I, I, I love. That's, that's the best way you can support us in what we're doing. And yet at the same time, if you attach entitlement to that or, or the inconsideration of, of what you're taking away when you ask or how you ask for things then all of a sudden it becomes like the dark side a little bit. Definitely the dark side. Of having like, followers. Like, go, go, like Golem dark side. My precious. It's very weird. My yeah, precious. It's very weird. You will give it to me. So, I but I don't think, I don't think people realize what it's like mm. from... Thanks for taking my happy thing and taking it to a real dark place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you, you can't understand the light if you don't see the darkness. Yeah, I've said that for a long time. So it's, you were happy to hang with us yeah, this I was, weekend. I was also happy to see everybody that was at the at the uh, the meet and greet thing at the grand opening. Oh yeah, C&B, for C and B. Certainly, yeah. it was really There's cool. Been a lot of cool, especially like the kids and stuff that are like like went into it. I met this one girl that Austin, um, I think, helps care. It might be his niece. Sorry, Austin, if it's your niece, I, and I, I'm it's not. his sister, I think. Okay. Well, she just gave me this—the best hug I think that anybody's given me. Like, like. You're talking about Austin, especially, my old neighbor. Yeah, yes, especially yeah. a stranger, especially somebody I just met, just gave me this hug where she just like, like full, just like rocked with me, just like, and felt completely at peace. And I was like, that—that that was I needed that. Like. Well, we were we were talking about her because he was describing. So she has autism, mm-hmm. and. Um, he was talking about his uh, nonprofit, which oh gosh, I wish I remember the name of it right now. Oh, what? A, oh shoot. Anyway, they use like farm animals and uh, and reptiles and stuff, um, and and they introduce them to. Can you look it up on kids your phone? With Austin. Wow, 
I don't know. If yeah, I know what you're people. talking about. You I think it's doing really cool work there. I don't know how much of an online presence they have. Oh, I mean, if you but, just go to Austin's page, if you just go to Balls on Chain Constrictors, I think it is. <laughs> on Facebook, Ball and Chain's constrictors. Ball and Chain Constrictors on Instagram. Balls Unchained. I said Balls on Chin. That's what I said. <laughs> we we had a little joke about that earlier. Um, while you're looking that up, I'm gonna take a hard left. Something. That, the other thing that has been bothering me, and this isn't just gonna be a vent, vent, vent about okay. these people. Just, so I don't. No, so just bad. like the this the infighting, and this is not some new topic by any means, but just like the people think like having these pre- presenting these false, not false idols, but like the opposite of whatever idols, like like these people that that are put up on a pedestal as the people that need to be knocked down off of these pedestals because they're destroying the hobby or hurting it that aren't actually necessarily doing that. It's just how people inside of the hobby think of them because they don't agree with the way their thumbnails are or the way that this is going and the the way that they think that outside people are perceiving it because of a thumbnail or, or something like that when the reality is that's not what's happening in reality but they have this idea in their head that this is going what's going to destroy the reptile hobby mm-hmm. is a is a horrible thumbnail when it's not uh are, are you referring to the, there was a video well that video that nerd. that video came up to thing things i'd already been thinking of yeah the video that um donnie put out at nerd today yes. where he drew people in by you know making a post, it looked like it was going to be basically bashing Jay Brewery. You know, that's, yeah, that's what the, thumbnail a, the, the thumbnail was. Yeah, the thumbnail a big, was killer. And, yeah, I, and I, when I first thought, Dennis I was like, face. "Dude, what are you? What? But then I thought, I was like, "No, hold on. I know there's something else going on here. Like that's just to grab yeah, the attention, and there's going to be something. That would else. be low class for those guys. Yeah, there's going to be something else going on after that. And I was right. That's why I didn't even comment on the thumbnail thing on Instagram. I was like, "No, there's something else coming here. I'm just going to wait and see. And then I thought he did a phenomenal job of grabbing that attention and turning it to places where people are actually doing some that's what was funny about it once i listened to it yeah like to that are that where the attention really should be i thought he did a fantastic job of doing that if you guys have that that video already has more views than i think our podcast does in its entirety (laughs) but but if you haven't seen that video on the nerd channel um just go check it out i thought it was i personally thought it was very well done the way that it was, you know, they, like use the clickbait to drag people in. They were like, "Oh, this, we're, yeah, we're gonna attack the people that we think are ruining the hobby." And then he actually turns attention to people that nobody's mentioned, that not that I've heard at least, mm-hmm. that are actually having an effect in very negative, effect a very negative effect on the. Well, well, kudos before. to Donnie for for playing that well because he the. T- <laughs> He used a clickbait thumbnail to talk about clickbait, therefore rendering the clickbait not clickbait <laughs> because the video was about clickbait. And and then it was kind of neat because he offered the perspective of what it's like. Well, first of all, he talked about people he knew, and most of the people who are generally attacked are attacked by people who don't know them, right? Um, and... Uh, and secondly, he he gave perspective of of what it's like to be on the other side of that. Like, why why do people do that? Like, you'll hear it all the time. I I've heard it. You might have heard this in criticism over the years. Like, are you trying to be the new Jay Brewer? As the one I always get because I used to work for Jay. 
Or are you trying to be the new Brian Barczyk? Anytime you do something that is, let's say, exciting or seems clickbaity or, you know, kind of the negative connotation that some of these guys have, right? And, and so if you do something like that, they compare you to them, right? So um, I, I guess there's, a, there's like a... People have literally walked up to me and, and there's said, a path that hey Brian oh what's up Brian Barcheck when I'm filming <laughs> with a camera to show yeah so yeah I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> yeah well maybe that's just because you both had long hair at the time <laughs> can't tell the difference <laughs> but yeah the, some of the people that have been successful on social media do things in a similar way um, and there's kind of like a reason for the pressure to do those to do things those way. And then there's those of us like you and I that are completely different and unsuccessful. Cheers. <laughs> we cheers in the cigars. Yes, cheers. I would you can take your unsuccessful mindset of yourself which I know you don't really have. Um I don't feel unsuccessful. Wait, I don't really have what? I mean no that you don't you don't I don't think you really have this thoughts that you are, yourself are unsuccessful. I don't think you're... No, no. I, actually, my YouTube accomplishes everything that I want it to. Like, you know what I mean? So, it's great. But... Mine pretty much does, too. But there's always that... It depends on what grow. you want it to do. I want, I want it to grow, of course, but yeah. slowly. That's what I've always been... When I first started, like, one of the very first videos when I actually... Actually, the first video... The very first video when I turned the camera on myself and talked at it... I said just that. I wanted to have slow growth. I wanted to, like just a slow and steady growth. And that's still what I want, just to mm-hmm. slowly grow. Why slow instead of fast? Because fast is, in most things that are good, usually not enjoyable in the long run. It's not the long run. It's the quick run. Mm-hmm. It's fast. It's flash in the pan. Maybe. Maybe. But it, that does happen that way. Well, I, th- I think, like, Clint um, does... Well, okay, so... We're, we're, here with, we're here with theory. Dave and Clint. Dave has had a long, grueling road and hard-earned all of his subs and views and everything else. Yeah, but he's also got bad karma with the universe for being a dick to people he doesn't know. Ah, I can tell you very much believe that. <laughs> and I can see why. Uh, Clint, on the other hand, has achieved a large numbers of success. And, in, in, you know, if if he's measuring the same way, like, measure him against Dave with views and subs and stuff. And Clint's very kind and understanding to the general public. Yes, but, but <laughs> my point is, like, he had very rapid growth, comparatively. Sure. Not Not like he's a noob, No, but he had relatively the YouTube channel fast took off well. yeah, it was growth. Well, well but he has a formula for that that works. Right. Exactly. So, And I, I would say that Clint is generally very happy in life and happy with the people that watch him, and so maybe we just need to learn more from him and stop venting about stuff. But uh, he has a he has a great community that follows him and supports him, and I think he gets very um, little. You know, I don't know. I'd have to talk to him, but I'd have to say, "Hey, do people expect you to answer them at two o'clock in the morning?" Or, you know, so. Well, he just doesn't. He comes gets to people in his own time if he does at all. Well, that's what I do, but people, it's never fast enough. Mm. The funny thing is, I try to do it very quickly, and that's when it becomes not fast enough. Clint is very good at not being offended by anything. 
and not even if somebody I think is like upset, he just has a way of like you said at the beginning. He's real quick. I think you and I are good at not being offended by people. I generally there's there's a point at which I break, and it's it's there's no rationale as to when or where it is. I could have something, just a bunch of different things piling in from different directions. I hit a moment. I, I think Clint would be that way too. Like you're just, I think it's more like certain things rub you the wrong way for some reason, occasionally. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And yeah. and I'm the same way. I've had things where that upset me, like a, a random comment from someone you'll never meet that you lose a little sleep over, and there's not really any reason for that, you know, to do that. But you, you know when you get offended is when you have that thought, it's the principle of the thing. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And not what's actually happening. Because what actually happens is nothing. And so when we attach ourselves to the principle of the thing, we get offended. And people who are easily offended are, are always thinking like that. Like, it's the principle of the thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, you paid an extra $2 for that. And then... If you're like, well, I don't care, it's $2. And they're like, that doesn't matter, it's the principle of the thing. I'm deeply offended. Do you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some people that that live, and this is kind of interesting, they just live based on principles, not in logical results, but like emotional principles. And I recently learned that that's okay, even though I don't do that or understand it at all. I feel like that's maybe, some, how some people navigate the world. I don't know what I do anymore. I I like to think I'm fairly logical, but I'm also highly emotional. Yeah, I think you are. I think you're relationally emotional. Mm. Like I think if you if you want to talk about a subject, you and I can be very logical, and it, you know, like just yeah, information based, logical, and and. It, <clears throat> If one of us is proven wrong in something or whatever, we can logically change our positions, you know. But you relate to the world much more emotionally. Yeah. I, I relate more on, like, results, you know. <clears throat> like, I'm the guy that doesn't honk his horn in traffic because I'm like, well, whatever happened already <laughs> happened and I don't need to alert them to my presence anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So if you're a person that's listening to this podcast and honking at people, you're an emotional relator. Unless you're honking to say, hey, watch out, I'm right here and you don't see well, me. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm as much as I'm an emotional relator, I'm not the guy that honks just to say I was pissed. Like, I also the warning honker, like, yeah, like if you... I mean, that was an example. That was a good example of what Dave does all weekend. Dave is a very emotional relator. <laughs> He's not logical at all. I guess it, it, here it, we are picking on David. I'm again. sorry, I pick on. It would be different if I. I wouldn't. It's I don't because we met with them all the time. That and, also, and because Clint is so quick, and so we think it's funny. So we pick on Dave too, and it's. it's not, he's not funny because he picks on Dave. He's funny because he's quick. We slowly pick on Dave, and then it seems like bullying. <laughs> How is it that Clint can pick on you? He's magical. It's because he, quick. Ma- he it's picks like on quick. you and makes you it's love like him you more. Almost, it's almost like you forgot that he did it because he did it so fast. Like did that, he did that? the last one I, where I just said he's is probably for the best. I was already halfway through the next sentence before I realized a that he said something and b what he said because it just it was like tagged on to the end of Dave finishing his sentence. You know, like gosh, that guy's quick. I got mad props for Clint. I love you, Clint. Hey, every all you guys that watch Clint, Clint's Reptiles, he deserves it. That's true. He's a good guy. That's true. 
He's a fun guy. He's great to be around. His family's awesome. We went herping with his like extended family this weekend. It was great. Maybe that's why I was so excited to come on this trip. I just wanted to hang out with Clint. You guys could have stayed at home. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. See, I mean, the result is I'm still here. We're smoking cigars, and so I'm not offended. <laughs> right. Yeah. The no, results it's... are the same. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy. Uh, the logical world. The logical world you live in. Rob taught me that. We actually uh, had a late night um, with a with a friend. We actually went out to play poker with some people. I don't golf or anything like that, so we, we went to a poker night. Yeah, you proved that the last time we went out. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> I don't think I was last. Was I last, last of last? I think I was second to last. There's no way you were second to last. Who yeah, came, Caleb who, did worse. Caleb did worse than you? I wasn't going to call him out, but you... It's okay. <laughs> I'm clinging to that, Caleb, just not because I hate you, but just because I'm sad about my results. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I don't golf. I, I think it's asinine. <laughs> um, sorry, everybody that wanted to go golfing with me someday. I mean, you still can if you want a good laugh, but, um, boy, my back hurt after that, too, because I have terrible form and a bad back. But I think that those things are probably closely related. <laughs> well, not really, because I didn't golf a lot, so the condition of my back has little to do with the golfing. <laughs> well, it ain't helping. How about that? Yeah. Mm. All right. Let's dive deep in the shallow end. Shall I we? I like it. Are you ready for that? Do you have something prepared? I'm always prepared. Oh, nice. That's and if I'm not, I'm pretty good at winging it. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I want to talk about uh, English idioms. So th- there's a lot of idioms that we use, you know. You can think like uh, you, you can – it can be a saying. It's basically a saying that has a meaning that is not what the saying actually means, right? So like uh, to beat a dead horse. We yeah. all know that we're – Not actually taking a bat to a horse. Yeah, we're not beating a dead horse. We are talking about a subject that's been talked about too much. So an idiom is a figure of speech? Yes, exactly. So I, I became fascinated with idioms when I was teaching English. Um, it wasn't actually English. It was cross-cultural communication as a professor in Indonesia. And it was amazing to me to realize how many idioms I used. Because when you begin, when somebody... So I was teaching people that were like fourth and fifth year English students. And most of them, it was, it was business-based. I think that most of us in America, I think there's a large percentage of Americans that probably speak in half idioms or... Constantly. Constantly. Or, or we don't realize how many of them are idioms. Hyperbole and idioms, or hyperbole and idioms would be closely related, I imagine, because you're not you're not saying things that are like, oh, I, like, I, I'm going to die if I do that. <laughs> right. So, so, but some of the things, you, like if I say to beat a dead horse, that's kind of an obvious idiom. But some things, like saying get over it, that's an idiom. Get over what? And get means to acquire. That fence? The fence, right? We're talking yeah. about the fence or the gate or the wall. Right. What am I getting us. over? <laughs> and so if you if you speak to somebody who understands English but doesn't understand cultural references and you say get over it, they're like, what? Get over what? I thought we were just sitting yeah, here. Yeah, where is it? What is it? What are we referring to? Yeah. Or, just, or how about this? What's up? Yeah, huh? <laughs> my, my mom does that all the time. Like, I'm like, what's up? Oh, sky, the clouds. Yeah, not much and so else. those are those are idioms, and they're culturally based. 
And that's why idioms are fun because especially if you're an American, well, I, I probably anywhere really, but like in America, it's a huge country separated by, you know, a lot of Ideological Idiom- miles. Idiomatically divided. <laughs> well, when when we were playing Bobby Wheatgrass and uh, what was your guy's name again? Uh, Johnny on the Spot. Johnny on the Spot. We were using a lot of different idioms to pretend like we were from different cultural American subcultures, right? Yes. Okay. Totally but, racist. So here's my... Your yours was racist. I was I was playing myself. Even your wife was like, "I think you missed your calling. You are Bobby Wheatgrass." It was amazing to watch you turn on and be the true you. Uh, true story. Anyway, okay. So so that's all. Actually, just the preface of it. So my real question is like, what the heck with some idioms? Like, where do they come from, and why do they persist? So Clint always says, that's totally rad. Stinking rad. Stinking rad. Stinking rad. Yeah, thank you. Stinking rad. Now that's something that went out of style in like 1983. I love how Clint is like a major subject of this podcast tonight. Well, we've been hanging out with him this weekend. <laughs> it just provides context. So there are some things that go out of style very quickly that we say or that we use, you know. And um, things that don't, like cool. Yes, so cool has persisted, but there's been ill or sick. or sick and that doesn't make there, any sense. Dude. My kids well, are saying sick. Yeah, well, sick. Well, and they come around again, too, because people are like, oh, you know, like you pick up a phrase from the 50s or something, and it's funny again. But some of these things have persisted, I think, so long that it's almost like the Hatfields and McCoys, and they don't know why they're fighting anymore. Mm. Where did this idiot... Okay, so a good example, and this we, would be... We have a whole list, like... I was telling Clint, well, let's just say, let's say Clint's name a hundred times this podcast. So we do. take okay. a drink every time you hear Clint, people, if you're drinking. Um, I, I was telling him, like, we got this like stack of, it's a clipboard hanging on my parents' refrigerator. Uh, they're called uh, Cuscoisms. Cuscoisms. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that before. Yeah. Or I'm fabricating that memory in my brain. Yes, because you've never been to my parents' house. But either way, well, but I, so I've still seen it though. Because it would have been on your vlog or something. Yeah, yeah. Because I go. knew what you're talking right. about. Right, it's been on it's, the vlog. It was never on you at your house. Nope. Okay. Well, that must have been the vlog. <laughs> That's right. My vlog is I can't is believe your you reality. don't spend enough time with me, Cusco. I watch your vlog all the time. <laughs> See, you don't expect anything back from me, and that's why. It's I don't to... expect much of you at all. I appreciate you plugging the wires together and stuff to make this thing happen. That's about all I expect out of you. It's easier for me to hang out with people like that that don't expect anything out of me. I, I, it's very taxing to feel like something's expected of me. And my best friends in the whole world expect nothing of me but know that they're going to get whatever they get from me and they're going to appreciate it, even if it's, especially if it's an enormous bottle of Eagle Rare that they never expected. I, that was amazing. Yeah, I was very happy. So yeah, one of one of you guys um, recommended Eagle Rare to me after sponsoring uh, the drink spons- sponsorship for this podcast, and I tried some finally after a very. Uh, actually, I never was able to find it. You you brought me some, like because you read my mind, and then I said that was very good. I love it, and you came back with a giant bottle of it for me to take home, so I can become alcoholic apparently. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, so so here's the idiom. 
Uh, wait, I forgot what it was. Let me check my notes. <laughs> <laughs> this was the idiom that I was thinking about the other day. Um, oh, gosh. Too many notes. Here it is. Dead as a doornail. Mm. What does it mean? Where did it come from? Why does it persist? When I say it's dead as a doornail, all of you know what it means. Well, it's dead, and it's not going to come back it's to life. It's very dead. Very dead. It's like that. that is, there's no resuscitation. Okay, first of all, what is a doornail, well, and why would that be dead? A doornail is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I've seen door screws. So this has to predate screws. No, Did people ever I've, attach I've, I've actually doors looked, with nails? I've actually looked like this they would up, fall and it's, it's gone out of my brain because it no, apparently wasn't. Have. No, I have. Your reality is not real either. Good. <laughs> I've read about this, like, what is a doornail? Like, going through a similar exercise as this is, like, looking up these different phrases and sayings. Where did they come from? What do they mean? And that was one of them. And the, a doornail... <laughs> If this counts as exercise, I'd be in as good a shape as you. This is not exercise. Continue. <laughs> exercise in futility or an exercise <laughs> in language. There, I want to say it's it's the it's not the door. Okay, it's not the hinge pin. No, the hinge pin is what goes through the center of the of the hinge, hinge to hold the door on. But the actually, hinge. that's a good thought. I never thought about that. It could uh, be the hinge pin, but you're saying it's not. No, I don't think so. But I, but I've definitely looked up at some point what a doornail actually was. And it's I'm something it that I now. don't think is used any longer. <sighs> but okay, a doornail be... is a stud set in a door for strength or as an ornament. And it's no longer there because we don't use them, and that's why it's dead as a doornail. It's like nobody uses those anymore. Nobody uses that phrase, dead as a doornail, because doornails don't even exist. Nobody uses doornails, so it's dead as a doornail. Is that where, where and why? I've never, I don't think I've ever said that. I've heard it. It's obviously, it, here's my favorite part. Here's my favorite place okay. where dead as a doornail exists. It's in the middle of a Pink Floyd song. And they're using a bunch of different metaphors like that, or analogies mm-hmm. or idioms, I guess, you know. I can't even dredge up the lyrics right now. Uh, dry as a funeral drum, I feel. I wish I could dredge up all the lyrics right now. Mm. It's a good song. It's on the uh, it's on the wall. It's part okay. of the wall. I'm I'm doing some research. This one goes way back. Yeah, it's an old one. It actually uh, predates correctly spelled English. It's from Mid English. Dead as a doornail. Dead spelled D E D as a door, D O R E dash N A Y L. Mm. So it's almost like Viking. Right. It's like, was it one of those th- things that was held when the, when the doors were vertical slats and they had to be held together by a brace type of thing? Or? So uh, doors were used, uh, doors were built. So this. This dates back to, they've traced it back as far back as the 1300s, and it was used in poems as an idiom that is a doornail. Now, where it actually started predates that. This is crazy. I, I didn't actually look this up before right Obviously. now. But it says that um, doors were built using only wood boards and hand-forged nails. The nails were long enough to, to go dead all the way through. nail the vertical wooden panels 
and Together. horizontal to stretcher sure. boards right, right, right. securely together so they would not easily pull apart. This was done by pounding the protruding point of the nail over and down into the wood. So they're beating the nail through and then pounding it down. Right. A nail bent in this fashion was said to be dead. Because it's not coming back out. It's in. It's, You're it's not gonna done. Be, it's not going to be it's used done, again. It's over. It's terminated. It's completed. It's dead. So actually, that's how I built that table. When I, when I knew you were coming to in person finally for a mm. podcast, and I built that table that we could podcast at. I used a very similar technique. Mm. You happened to use screws, but it was still the same idea to get vertical boards together to form a horizontal plane. Okay, so now we know it exists. So that was said dead as a doornail. So I, I suppose if you're like dead, yeah, and then you just say dead as a doornail because that's a, a phrase. But... Uh, why on earth does that persist when it's stinking rad didn't make it past 1983? What are you talking about? It's used all wide, widely on YouTube. Many of Clint's fans. Mm, yeah. Oh, is it that time? Many of Clint. You need some more? No, I said Clint. I said take a drink. Oh, It's oh, a drinking oh. game now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think Brian uh, sponsored this I drink did. with Old Forester 1910. Yes. For those who bring it back, he, he's he's he, it didn't die. He may have been saying that the entire time. I don't think he ever stopped. He probably didn't, but he also uses a lot of outdated things, and that's part of his charm. He's very dad jokey kind of guy. Well, what are some things that never came that didn't actually make it? Because you're just trying to use stinking rad, but it's still being used only by him. No, by yeah, it's like his catchphrase now. But other people say it because he made it popular on his channel. That's just because they like him. So why don't you do anything? Because you like it. So it would be like if a non-Pittsburgher was like, I love yins, guys, to me, because they heard me say it or something. Yeah. Except that there. everyone in Pittsburgh still uses that. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So it's not gone. It's not, it's not dead as a doornail yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just think it's weird. Idioms. I didn't realize how weird they were until I tried to teach a bunch of adults from another culture. I would why. challenge anybody to try to speak in America that's currently living in the U.S. that has lived in the U.S. Mm. Or maybe, maybe other. That's one thing I think. I don't think there's a lot of that happening. There's something about English where it's so such such a language you can play with in so many ways. Like there's a lot of other languages out there that don't have room for that type of that amount, or at least not nearly to the extent I think that the English language has been. And maybe that's because the English language has gone through so many different cultures. Well, and yeah, and people actually agree with that. So that's not just an English-speaking perspective because, um, you know, I have friends that speak, like, for example, Indonesian is a very easy language to learn and use, but it's not particularly descriptive. They do have a few words. Like I said, there's a word for that in Indonesian. Um, like, uh, for those of you guys that are listening and speak Indonesian, like kita and kami, is there's two words of saying us. One is like, hey, if, you know, us is like me and Dave, but not you. And then there's us, like all of us. We, we have to, you know, in English, we don't have a way to say that. Just us. Yeah. But, um, but at any rate, English is, it, English has been used as a trade language for so long that it has been watered down or dumbed down, and that the average, let's say, American speaking English today, especially with the, the 
all the grammar correction and lack of vocabulary that people have today. Um, some people never get further than that. Just kind of like the daily spoken language to kind of get around. And they're not, they don't try to use the language to be particularly descriptive about what they're trying to describe. However, if you do want to be descriptive, you can dig pretty deep and you can find 50 different ways to say one word. Go, go to a thesaurus and pick any word you're looking at and there are so many ways to, you know, subtly differentiate. And, and that's because of its history, you know, the, the English language history and the evolution of the language going through all those different cultures, you know, and, and adding and tweaking and changing and, and redefining specifically I think it would be, it would be a fun to challenge to try and go an entire day without using an idiom or speaking in hyperbole whatsoever. Oh, I, like I said, if, if things like get over it that you don't even think of as being an idiom are, I don't know that you could. It, it was actually such an important part to my cross-cultural class because they all spoke English pretty well. And so the three most valuable things I brought, because I got to make up my own curriculum, the thing, and these were surprise. I just did them because they were silly and fun. But one of them was I would fill the board with idioms, and I would watch them try to dis- to explain them, to define the idioms, right, on the board. And that was the way I started uh, each class. Another thing that we would do is we would have them watch classic American movies, and then reenact, we would do like group projects where they would reenact a movie from a famous scene as if that scene had happened in Indonesia and how it would play out differently. You know, so if they found a classic American movie and scene happened that they thought was strange, they'd reenact it in the Indonesian way and we'd kind of pick it apart. And then the third thing I did was let my students take me to coffee after class and, and practice their conversational English. And that way they could actually talk with a with a Western businessman, you know. Um, I think a good side effect of trying to challenge yourself by not speaking in hyperbole or using any idioms throughout the day, or at least for me, the side effect would be maybe not speaking as much, which might save me a lot of trouble. I think a lot of us could think a little bit more before we speak anyway. Yeah. So it would be good practice for that for sure. I had Rob Christian. I like this old forester. It's nice. That's good stuff. It's very uh, pancake syrup, banana pancakes. Um, you, you have weird ways. It's 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 the perfect balance between having that bite that you want, that like alcohol bite, and like good smooth flavor at the same time. Hmm. So it's it's not dissimilar from the reason I like the Eagle Rare. It's, it's a very straightforward kind of man's bourbon. But but drinkable. It's more similar to uh, Woodford Reserve. Well, it's a double. It's a double-barreled whiskey. So Woodford Reserve double oaked is very similar to this. I find. I, I think that is what I like. I always liked the the very smoky scotches, and I always like the no double. Smoke. No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying, for scotch, I like the smoky stuff. For bourbon, I like the double oaks. I've always noticed that I like the double. Like you like cask strength. I like mm. double oaked. I, I to, like that earthiness. I think the, I would love some cask strength double oaked. Ooh. You, you, is that even like by definition not possible? No, right? that's totally possible. You just so you just take it from one the cask to the next, done, and just keep putting it in. 
You just take one from the first cast. Boy, that sounds like you wouldn't cast. need to drink very much of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's high octane. There's this stuff called light whiskey. It's like an un- obtanium or something. It's like 147 proof, I think. Mm. I do have some. Oh, you know what I've got right here, dude? I've what? got some uh, old Carter 4, batch 4, which is a 13-year. It's 69.8% ABV, which brings it to what? 138.6? Okay. my friend. 139.6. That's what it brings it to. Mm. That's 139. That's, that's kind of like standard cask strength. No. 140 proof? 140 proof? No. 130, 135, Cask strength usually sits in the 120 region, I would say. or Like this Stag Jr. is cask strength. It's 131.1. Okay. 139.6 is on the high end for certain. Okay. So, it's just so cast strength is just what it for comes those out of, of you guys that are wondering why we're talking so much about the bourbon, is because Brian's got his whiskey whip, wimps thing, but I, I enjoy it because I like anything that's done well. So I don't, I don't ever like really ever drink to get drunk. Um, Neither do I. And I don't, I don't drink a lot, but the, what I appreciate about different kinds of alcoholic drinks is that. You know, people don't put a lot of pride and effort into other types of drinks. It oh, seems like they just got, add sugar, all pride and, and that's it. Well, yeah, that's yeah. it. So that's why I kind of like, well, I mean, a lot of them are. Wines Most are of them are. Alcoholic drinks. Most whiskeys are pride and effort. Most, I would say most alcoholic drinks are. Yeah, that's, okay. Anybody, well, all right. It wouldn't be hard to find a craft anything. You know what I mean? People that are are trying to push the envelope and make a better wine or a vodka, or a better beer, or there, yeah, there's high end vodkas and tequilas, and yeah. so so my but thing is like alcohol is generally end. expensive, so you might as well make it nice too. I don't know what makes it could make a vodka. I'm super biased here, but what what, what could make a vodka high end other than marketing? So I'm ignorant, but from where I sit, you sound ignorant. Sure. I think you're ignorant to vodka. I've had plenty of vodka. It's not barrel. It's just distilled alcohol. I think if you went and toured and talked to people who made vodka, you would learn a lot. I'm sure I would. But Speaking of wood, yeah, it makes the alcohol a lot better. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an earthy flavor. So, so anyway, that's why I drink. That's why we do that. We're also smoking cigars, and uh, that's another thing that people take great pride in I just like anything like man I love cars when the automakers get out of their own way and they make something pure and beautiful well, where you know, the designers you know and the engineers why, come together and it's amazing I can't amazing. believe I'm about to do this I like when you say that this is why people are so intrigued with your work with super dwarves no yeah no you put so much pride an effort into it is because you care about it and you like it. And you really, you pour your soul into it. That's why. Yeah, but every reptile breeder would say they do the same. No. Yeah. It's yes, easy. They, they would all say okay, that. Okay, okay. The top bloodline easy quality. Easy to say. Mm-hmm. As all things are, easier to say. Than to do. In fact, except for that moment right there where I brought that up. That was hard to say. Thank you. <laughs> but no, it actually wasn't. It's just... It's just a funny joke. How come people don't like to compliment it's just a funny me? Is it because my head's already big? I, I don't know why. I don't know why. 
I don't apparently have too easy of a time of it. Jokes times. are only funny when there's an element to truth. When the, the, say, say that again? Jokes are only funny when there's an element of truth oh, yeah. to them. Oh, is yes, what I yes, meant yes, to say. Yes. So, so you're joking that it's hard to compliment me. But but a lot of people I I face a lot of uh negative pushback especially from people that uh, that I that I don't that don't really know me or don't really understand me Who but are based you, on their impression No 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 I mean in life. Hmm. You know what I mean? So like if people if people don't know me their impression of me is that I'm very cocky hmm. and that I'm conceited. And therefore, they do not like to compliment me. <laughs> you know what's funny? Because I have a big head. What's funny is people who don't know me think that I'm very. What do What do people know? I, you're the wrong person to ask, I guess. But I knew you since before I knew you. <laughs> people that don't know me, uh, I don't know what. I don't know what they think. I don't care anymore. Actually, I've gone so far beyond caring. I'm doing whatever I want these days. I. I don't. I think people that don't know you find you like lovable and welcoming, and then as they so then they like get drawn into watching you and participating in your life through your vlogs, like we're talking about. And then you always do something to take a hard left turn, and everyone's like, "What the heck is he doing?" I thought I knew him better than that, and that has happened. For years that I've known you, you're like, what is he doing now? I don't think you know your own self. That may be possible. I've, I've, that's there's, there's a, certainly an element to that where I don't know exactly what it is that makes me tick. Sometimes, I think I do. There's many times when I'm very confident in knowing what it is that makes me tick. But there's times when I completely question, what am I doing, and why? Well, I think the biggest question is, what do you want? I'll explain why in a minute, but just for funsies, try to answer it. Well, the funny thing is I think that all the things that I want, I I have for the most part. Like, I think I have all the things that I really want. Yeah, such as? Like, people that love me, people that I love. I mean, those are things that I really want. Like, that's really what I want. I want, I want to be loved, and I want to love in return. Like, I want that, and I have that. So you answered, you answered exactly well, which kind of goes to my point. Um, but if anybody's listening to this and you just try to answer for yourself, what do you want? I mean, not like I'm driving and I'm hungry and it's lunchtime. I want a cheeseburger, but no, like, like really, what do you want? It's funny. Cause a lot of the things that I, I have, the things that I say a lot of the time I say, I'm like, man, that, that probably sounds cheesy, but the, the, these are the things that I mean. Like, that's why I f- find such solace in all these old... Yes, you are basically a living cliche. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I am. I'm living... I'm not just saying it. Like I wasn't either. I know, I know you're not. That, that's, that's... There's all these things, these truths, these universal truths that are what make me happy and make me who I am. These things that I believe are universal truths, like wanting the simple things in life that you can't many believe something's a universal truth and make it so it has to be universally true to be a universal truth oh is that true there's no belief to it is it's it universal truth oh whatever 
That's the problem with the world today. They think their truth is universal truth, like the universal resides in them. But isn't that the universal truth? That do not people want to love and be loved in return? Isn't on on all aspects of human life boiled down to that? Like, well, I think a lot of people have a very. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Your, your need to love or the lack of of like don't don't most human truths boil down to that simple. My thing? my wife's father is a preacher, and he came and gave a talk to a group of young people one time for me, and he said that he said all humans need two things: to love and to be loved, and I actually struggle with that statement at that time in my life because I said to love yes I agree with you to be loved no I don't want that right now and I think I I felt very undeserving of it at the time but if I ask you as the listener what do you really want and you don't know I would say the reason you don't know is because of one one of two things first of all the reason you don't know what you want is because you already have it and you fail to recognize it. So obviously Mr. Cusco here passed that one already because he said, I think everything I want, I already have. Well, maybe not everything, but, but what you truly want is what you already have. The second reason why I think people, and, and this may be you, I don't know, don't know what you want is because you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are made to be. And sometimes... This is the case with me. Who you were made to be is, it, it doesn't seem valid, and so you reject it. So this is going to sound really weird, but I think the reason why the Superdorf thing and the quest for perfection, and I drink this bourbon because it inspires me to do simple things well, and that's how I want to live my life. I want to take simple things and do them very well. This is not who I tried to be or anything like that, but I'm 30. Uh, you, you did the math. How old am I? I'm almost 38 now, right? I was doing the math on the proof of the whiskey. Oh, no, it wasn't you. It was Clint. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Clint did the math on this. He was trying to figure out how old I was. I'm 37. I'm almost 38. And it took me about that long to figure out that I was somehow weirdly made to be someone who sells reptiles and I think a lot of people have negative connotation of selling and therefore that doesn't sound like something you'd want to be and I think a lot of people don't like reptiles or they don't think it's like a major part of life and so that doesn't seem necessary or worthy but the weird thing is you know, I, I think when you're being who you're meant to be, you get in this zone. You know what I mean? Where you're just you're just feeling it and you're enjoying your life in that moment, the present. And you're there. And everything's connecting and it's working really well. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel and, like I've and lived most life, of my life in that zone. And when I'm out of it, I, that's when I'm depressed. When I'm, like, not in the zone. So the, a lot of people have almost or possibly never felt that or been in that zone. And I don't know if it's because they're denying who they're meant to be 
like I was, or they don't know who they were meant to be. I, I attribute it to music, and that's why I think it's, it's a highly recommended thing if somebody has like to learn to play music. I think it can be something that can really get somebody into a zone if you take the time to do it. I remember the first time feeling in that zone that I recognized it. I was in fourth grade, and we're playing this this, this old, uh, old man brigade, not old man brigade, or old man, uh, not ensemble. One of the words for like a, a type of music thing, like old man patrol Dig or something. deep into your English language. <sighs> no. <laughs> Give me better vocabulary. Anyway, anyway it's just like the... This old man, he played, you know, it was a version of this old man. Oh, okay. And it was in fourth grade, and we're all playing, it's the high school band, and for some reason, everybody was doing pretty well in this one rehearsal of it, and it just clicked, and everybody was playing it well, I was playing my part right, and also everybody else seemed to be playing their part right at that moment, and just felt this in the zone. That's a very good, okay, so here's what's happening, and that's a very good illustration of what it is. So you're playing one simple part of a greater whole. And if everyone else contributes and they all do their part of this greater whole, there's a moment where you transcend yourself, you transcend your simple part, and you can hear and appreciate and feel the purpose of that greater whole flowing through you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, You're going, D-D-D-D-D-D-D. D, 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 D. And then all of a sudden there's like a, a zoom out moment. And you're like, whoa, music is happening. Because I put my fingers on these holes of the flute and played them and it's such a succession or whatever. And music is very cooperative and it's very expressive. And I think if we live our lives cooperatively and the expressive side is us doing our part well, then you can connect with the world and the people around you, and you can see a greater purpose. And you're like one thread in a tapestry, you know, and you're worried about your phrase or being the pigment wrong, you know, the pigment that you don't enjoy or whatever. But sometimes you realize it really wasn't about you. And when you zoom out and you see that you've been just being you right, life happens for you and everything clicks. And for me, when that happens, and this is why I sell the Superdoors, I've always said, like, I'm not a salesy sales guy. I just enjoy the animals and I try to communicate to other people why I enjoy them. And people enjoy watching me enjoy reptiles. Would you say that's true? You've been around me enough. Absolutely. So when I like... You've seen me like go off about things that I'm passionate about with the reptiles. And after a while, people just sit back and chuckle and they're like, look at this guy. He really cares about something I've never thought about before in my life. You know, and and that enjoy that makes them enjoy it because they see that there's a bigger world outside there besides their own opinions. I guess I spent a lot of time trying to zoom out and, and successfully, I guess. There, there was a whole year of my life in Hawaii where every morning I would get up and I would go down to the ocean, jump in it, get out, do some yoga. And this isn't always necessary in this order, but it was these three things. The, the ocean, the 
the yoga slash meditation. And in that meditation, I would sit there and see where I was and, and just close my eyes and be like, this is where I'm at. I know exactly, thankfully, maps and this and that. I know exactly where I am. And pull back slowly in my mind and be like, here I am on the central south shore of Oahu, backing out and out of this park. And I've ridden all across the island at this point, so I know it like by heart. I can actually see in my mind like where I'm pulling back from and just pull back now, back backing out. I can see all of Oahu, backing out. And I can see all the islands and just keep backing out and zoom out to that point. Like I'm just this tiny speck on a tiny island in the middle of the ocean, in nowhere, almost. You know, just like just and be like, this is I'm nothing in this. But at the same time, that's what I can zoom right back down and be right back in my body. And here I am. And I'm controlling my body and my breathing, and then I go find a coconut. I did that every day. <laughs> but the thing that you said incorrectly there is that you were insignificant because if you are a thread in the tapestry, you are very significant because tapestries are made of thread. And without the thread, there's no tapestry. So here's the problem. What I mean by With, insignificant is like my... my you're minuscule. Minuscule, small part, not, not insignificant, of yes, a larger yes, whole. That's what I meant. You're right. And if you try to be anything other than a thread, you are not participating in the tapestry. So, so here's the thing with people that feel actually insignificant or depressed. It's that they are judging themselves on whatever standard they use to judge, and they are saying, "This is at least." me. I think there's many reasons for depression in the world. I was very depressed. I was suicidal for years and struggled with that. And for me, it's because I thought, well, I'm a good person. If I boil it all down and I think about it, I thought, I'm a good person. I'm trying to be good and nothing is going right for me. Or in other words, I'm not getting what I deserve or things are not happening the way that I want. And then I would get depressed. And then I would hate myself for it. And the funny thing is, that self-loathing is actually the, probably the greatest form of pride that I've ever struggled with. People think that I'm cocky. But when I hate myself the most, it's very prideful to think that I'm entitled to anything or deserve anything at all. You know, because really we're not. I mean, we're a bunch of particles that return to dust when we die. Right? An old proverb says, you know, from dust we came and to dust we shall return. So that doesn't actually matter who you think you are or what you... I mean, you're, you're a collection of particles. What really matters is that you are your true self while you can be. Because if you zoom out, our time here is short and it's precious. And to have the connection with people that we love and that interwoven thing or to play our simple part in music, you may not like the instrument that you've been given or the part you have to play, but that shouldn't really matter. You play that, you be you, and you do it well. And you have to trust that you're here for a reason and that you are who you are for a greater purpose. And then you can connect with that greater purpose back up and just see the beauty of, of communion, of, of being 
in a community of people different but complementary. And when we try to be someone we're not, if I try to be Brian or Brian tries to be me, we're doing it wrong. And, and everything is fighting against the natural order of things. But if we can sit back and just, just be ourselves in that moment, and sometimes I think that's too selfish for us because we think like made-up responsibilities get in our way. And so I, I think some people might think of you as kind of like that hippie type, you know, shirking responsibility, not wanting to, you know, from a personality perspective, because you're not that way in life. You, you take care of people and stuff, but it seems selfish to be yourself. And that's <laughs> probably the greatest lie that our minds invent. Well, I mean, that's, all, that's an interesting definition of, of selfish, maybe, is that it's just being yourself. Is that selfish? <laughs> It's, I mean, it's the word is self. Yeah, but don't, you can't get tripped up on that because the thing is, like, if you are who you were meant to be, it's probably your greatest calling, responsibility, and selfless act that you can do. You know, because instead of inventing something and shooting for it and not knowing what you really want or, or getting what you thought you want and having it not satisfy you, the ability to learn that you probably have what you want. And if you don't, you need to play your part until you can see that or until that life happens for you. You have to kind of trust it and, and I relinquish was, control and go for it. I thought it was funny you brought up the, the, the wrong instrument where you still play. Because like I, I lived that when I, I played clarinet in fifth grade. And then this is taking it back to a more uh, superficial level. That was very deep. Well, but we probably went deep enough for tonight's podcast. <laughs> Fifth grade, I played clarinet. I was transferred into sixth grade in the band, and I, I wanted to play in what my mind was the bassoon. I was like, that's a cool-looking thing. I, remember, I think it was a, there was some movie with, like, a serpent, and there was a kid that, like, stopped the sea dragon from taking over the ship by playing his bassoon. And I think that was part of why I, it was so, you know, alluring to me. It was like, oh, yeah, I want to tame the serpent. Ooh, alluring. Good use of the English language. <laughs> I want to tame this serpent. And so bassoon is where this 11-year-old kid, that's what I need is that. I need to learn to play bassoon so I can be that. And there was a list of instruments that I had to choose from. And in my 11-year-old mind, that I saw baritone. I was like, oh, that's that's it. Probably because B A. I was like, oh, yeah, and and the N and the O. It's like baritone. Yeah, that's that's it. Check. And then they bring me the instrument, and it's like this miniature tuba, <coughs> yeah, thing with like three buttons and you know tuba, not reed instrument at all. And I was like, what's this? And like, it's a baritone. He's like, that's what you asked for, right? I was like, yeah. I mean, the technically. But that's not what I, not this, not yeah. this big metal hunk of like three button <laughs> tubiness. And yeah, they said they said, well, you know, just try it out. If you don't like it, then maybe you can. Do it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it. I'll try it. And I tried it, and I stuck with it from middle school all the way through high school. Ended up going to like they would like take me, pick me as the one kid in the band to go to play in the state band <laughs> with that instrument 
And all based on an accidental checking of a box. All based on an accidental checking of a box. It became a whole, at this point, is now, you know, still almost a quarter of my life that I spent playing that instrument. Well, <laughs> because what, what, I guess that's what you're supposed to do, right? Is that what you're supposed to do? I take, guess, if take, you take what you've been given. And, and try to make the best of it. <laughs> I, I think the reason why we're so lost today, though, is, is because... People have that sense of entitlement, and they don't get what they want, and they get depressed. And if they do get what they want, they're happy, and that's very childish. Yeah. You're a dad. That I'm a dad. When yeah. your kid doesn't get what they want, how do they act? Very unhappy. You give them what they want, and they act happy. So they think that's what makes them happy. You know what's happy with, with for me, what made me very happy this weekend is how much Noah wanted to swim in this pool. That's like one of the main things he wanted was to be here, to come swim in this pool. This yeah, he saw this pool and he was like, dang. He saw it before we came. Like I showed him pictures. Oh, I, like, the I was like, look, this is the, the we got this pool. pool at our place. He loves swimming in the pool. Yeah. And he asked so many times where I was like, dude, if you keep asking, you're gonna, I'm going to lose my patience. Like, <laughs> but he stayed out with us herping all day long, early morning till We did a 20-hour herping trip in the desert and yesterday. Then, and then the second, then I promised him the next day, yeah, we'll swim in the pool, I promise. Then we spent all day out doing, you know, doing the meet-and-greet thing for the morning and then going out to the sanctuary, which was definitely fun for him, checking all the crocodiles and playing sure. with the chicken. He loved that, don't get me wrong. Play with but the chicken. <laughs> the fact that he was so good about it, you know, about, like, not actually like he kept he kept asking about it. he was persistent about it. I want to are we gonna go swim in the pool but he never whined he never cried about it as yeah. as annoying as he got about it sometimes asking about it he never whined or cried and then when we got back and it was pool time and it was maybe gonna be a little too cool to get in he was still like well maybe we'll go try the, the there's a spa over there we saw and and then that thing was the third full and cold and he still was just like. That's okay. I was, and that for me, I was like, oh, thank thank the Lord. Like, please, thank you. Please and thank you for how you are with this situation. That you could totally be being like, this is the only thing I wanted. And it's just ruining everything. Wait, but you know, what's funny, because you guys did jump in the pool and you ran a couple laps in it and, you, <laughs> and they got out because it was cold. And so you did it. But I, I think the thing that was cool about watching Noah Sage over this weekend is that I don't think the pool was ever what he really wanted. He did a couple laps. He's satisfied. He got that little, like, uh, thread out of his brain, right? But watching him give water to a thirsty rattlesnake in the desert or hang out with the other kids that were out there or, you know, it, like, I'm tired, I'm hungry, but let's go to one more spot. You know, like, he didn't think he wanted to see the geckos, and then we ran over a gecko and killed it. And he is very interested in that dead gecko, you know. He, he noticed everything about how it died. He, he told his mom how it got run over and it only crushed his head. But the rest of the body was okay. He was petting it, you know, and uh, just kind of making peace with it. And, and being with those people and playing with, you say he's played with that chicken. We went to this amazing reptile uh, rescue and sanctuary that had some of the most amazing. I was geeking out with a Galapagos tortoise. I got to pet a Nile crocodile. I got to gaze into the eyes of an American alligator, which is one of the greatest, uh, like, joys of my life is gazing into the eyes of an American crocodile. 
Believe it or not, has been since I was a kid. I don't know why that species and that eyeball makes me so happy. But, you know, but he connected with the chicken. You guys got the chickens at home. And what was the chicken's name? The rooster? Storm, I Storm. Believe. That's right. And it was a Orpington. A gray Orpington. Or silver Orpington. I forget what it's called. Chicken people can correct me. But, um, yeah, he connected with that chicken. You know, and Clint. Cheers. Connected with... Oh, a, I'm empty. With a possum. Well, pick your greatest one. So my point is, he thought he wanted something else. And in the two days of waiting, he got everything that actually that he enjoys and connects with the world. He got everything. He had it. Life happened for him. He, he was enthralled by that tiger rattlesnake we found. He was in love with that tiger rattlesnake. He noticed every detail about her. You know? He talked about it well into the next day. That it was his favorite thing the whole time. You know? I don't know. I, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's the, that's... the greatest thing about being a dad is that we get caught up in our stupid, stupid adulting. And we forget to connect sometimes. But being having a kid whose your, your blood runs in their veins and watching them connect with the world on a much simpler level reminds you to be who you wanted to be when you were a kid. Yeah. That's why I love being a parent. Yeah, me too. You know, and, and so many people, I'm not condemning this, I just... I, I'm almost sad for what they're missing out because it's been such a blessing in my life. There's there's a lot of people that don't want to have kids these days. And most of the reason, it's not selfish in a bad way, but most of the people are like, no, I'm, I'm very happy and I get all the stuff. Like if I had a kid, I'd be responsible for someone else. I would It would cost me a lot of money. I wouldn't have the freedom that I have. You know? And that's all very true. And I don't think just everyone should be a parent. But being a parent has been one of the greatest joys of my life because it helps me reconnect with the parts of myself that I've lost. And I have four kids, so I, I, I'm able to do that through four different lenses. I'm able to filter that life through those different lenses, and each one of them has a different part of me. Yeah, living living through your kids, it's, it's something. It's something else, man. It, it's, I, do it, I do it every day. As well, you know, I'm fortunate to be around them a lot. Uh, spoiled, spoiled rotten with the amount of time I get to spend with my kids, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, you are. Freaking punk, man. I'm jealous. <laughs> but that's my, but those are choices. I choose, I choose that. I choose that. Well, there's things, you. there's things I could be doing, you know, to maybe even be making their futures easier. But I don't necessarily want that because I, I don't, maybe subconsciously, I don't want them to get that sense of entitlement that we think is you know, ruining the world. I don't want them to have that. I want them to know what hard work is. I want them to know what it is to earn things for yourself. And that also allows me the time to be with them, you know, because I'm not building a multi-million dollar company where they're going to be set up for their their lives, which there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, I don't think. You know, that, uh, that's something I could aspire to as well, but I just... On a day-to-day basis, my choices that I make end up not leading to something like that, but do lead to a daily 
as you recognized in me a long time ago, this life work balance, work life balance, where it's like, I am getting work done. I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm busting my ass on a daily basis. I'm, I go to sleep last, I wake up first in my house every day, every single day. That's not a question. And, but I still have the time in within that to have a, a, a exorbitantly, an exorbitant amount of time with my children. I wouldn't have it any other way because, as you're saying, you get to live life through them, and you get to see the life through their eyes. And it's what it's that simple thing that just makes you so happy. Is the complicated world out there of the that now everybody's in everybody's else's business. With, through the internet, which is a blessing and a curse because it allows that to happen and it allows for many things to happen, but one of all the bad things as well that I feel go away when we're hanging out in person and just doing these things. But Well, you know, something I just learned by backing up a little bit is even when I say I'm sad for people that don't have kids or don't want kids, it's kind of stupid because... I think having your own child makes it easy because your blood runs in their veins. Oh, yeah. But so many of us have a legacy in the other people in life that we touch that they, that in in some regard, become our children in, in a way because sure. we're able to teach them, bless them, help them. And then at the same time, you're talking about the girl you met today that just gave you a big old hug. You know what I mean? You connect with them in, in that moment and... And, and learn to stop and hug people, <laughs> you know what I mean, or, or whatever it is. And so there are so many people that, oh, it was great at the this grand opening at CMB Reptiles out here because people came from really far away to see us, all of us, you, me, Dave, Clint, everybody, their, their little celebrity, you know, reptile team that was there at the shop. People came from really far away to tell us that we've touched their lives. And just to meet us in person so they could share that same, those same nitrogen molecules in the air with us for a minute. You know what I mean? And, and be a little bit more connected than they have been able to be through a screen. And so it, it is really cool to see them live their lives and appreciate that they have what they want. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it, it's kind of like, so for me, I'm, I was the Superdorf guy. That was my position. You know, you were the vlog guy, right? But th being the Superdorf guy, a lot of people think they want a Superdorf when they watch my channel. And, you know, hey, maybe I'll hurt my sales by saying this or whatever, but I'd venture to say it's not that you want a Superdorf. You know what I mean? I, I think that you're just, we've talked about this, just, the way I sell things is just me being happy with reptiles and people connect with that. And so sometimes they think they want a super dwarf because they see me connect with a super dwarf and, and be happy. But I think it can remind them to just turn around from the screen and connect with their bearded dragon or a bird outside their window. You know? And or a little... just a beautiful flower that blossoms or whatever if I'm going to be cliche like you in your whole life <laughs> and stop and smell the roses for a minute <laughs> I love I do that, too. that I do it literally <laughs> literally walking cliche figuratively <laughs> no, <I> hyperbolically 
and idiomly. Hyperbolically, sir. Hyperbolic. <laughs> like the chamber. You know, there was a couple of kids that were at the shop today. Uh, Santiago was the one that had been, you know, watching for a long time, and he had his friend with him who, who hadn't kept a snake yet. And his friend, after, there was a couple times we talked, they had hung around, we had a couple of interactions, and then he asked me, so I'm thinking about getting the first snake, and he's like, what, what do you recommend as a first snake? And then I proceeded to give what was maybe my best answer I've ever given to the question, and I told him that, too, after I said it. I was like, wow, you know what? I think that that may be the best that I usually, I was like, usually when I say things, like, I'm like, wait, hold on, just don't pay attention to what I'm saying. This time, <laughs> this time, that was good. I'm pretty sure that was really well, you good. You set your story well. What's the best first rub, though? It's malleable. It depends on what you really want. As a malleable. Person. Good use of the English language. <laughs> it depends on what you really want. Your best first snake is not going to be the same best first snake. Anyway, I told them that one of my defaults is corn snake because... They're so hardy. They don't get too big. They're they're easy. You can't kill them that easily with by mistakes and husbandry. A lot of industry support and and then sure. right. So, but I told him, but you've got Santiago here. He's got snakes. He can. You're literally with him in person. He can mentor you to make sure you have proper husbandry for whatever snake it is you're looking to get. And I just said, you know, taking into account the fact of the lifespans, you know, of any snake, like if he's gonna live a long time, like I was like, if you get a python, what no matter what the species, and you keep for, care for it correctly. That that snake's gonna be still alive when you have grandkids. Keep that in mind, you know. And keep in mind that some snakes can get very big, like you know, retick or that and that. And you might need to be able to do two hundred. Some have exacting requirements. Two hundred, yeah, two you know, hundred pound squats to you know get it back into the cage, maybe uh, things of that nature and. Basically, what I left him was, well, you still have a lot of research to do before you know exactly what the first snake is for you. And luckily, you've got your friend here who can help you along. And I was like, well, obviously, I'm here, too. If you want to reach out and call me and talk a little bit more about this, that's great, too. But the, the first snake is the best first snake for you is the one that you put the most research into and realize this is the snake I want to be my first pet snake. Well, I think it, I, that's a very good answer. I think there is a step after the research, though, because the research kind of discounts all the things that won't be a good match for you from a physical standpoint, right? Like, it's too big, I can't handle it. Well, that was one of the points I brought up. Yeah, that's the first step. But I think there's still, even after you narrow it down, there's still a number of different species. And even within a species, there are going to be different individuals. So let's say they do arrive on the, the fact they need a corn snake. Well, now which corn snake? And I think the right answer is going to be the one that you connect with the best. And for that, that is different for everyone. So for me, I connect with reticulated pythons because you can form a relationship with them if you put in the effort and the time. And there's a challenge for a a homo sapien to connect with relationally a Malaya python reticulatus, right? So, that, <laughs> so that's, so that's, uh, you still remember that. That's funny. So, um, that's, that's their, their appeal to me. I like kind of cracking the code of the relational connection between man and beast, if you will. But for like, I really appreciate, uh, Justin Kabilka, you know, because a lot of people like I, I heard it at least three times a day. I said, what kind of reptiles do you keep? And they go, oh, I just have a ball python. I hate that answer. 
you don't just have a ball pipe. I think you were with me when I said it once. I was like, that's a pretty cool, that's like an exotic African python. Like, that's a pretty cool snake. But it depends on how you connect with them. Like, when I watch Justin, the, and he's talking about his morphs, you know, a lot of us are like, oh, those are so shallow, and beauty's only skin deep, and they're all about the morphs, which to an extent is, there's a lot of truth to that with ball pythons. But that doesn't mean you don't connect with the animal because of that. Like, Justin Kabilka connects with these new hatchling morphs because he's seeing his vision realized when he understands the genetics and what they'll do. And he puts them together in, an, in a carefully crafted way. Just like I like bourbon and a cigar. And you said people like my superdoors for this. I like what he does with ball pythons. I don't actually ever need to own one of his ball pythons to appreciate what Justin does with them. But he connects with them because they show him when he's right and when he's wrong about his vision for life. You know what I'm saying? For for these colors and these patterns and this... So we it, were, that, that's cool. We were at Earl John's place. and Down Ch- in Texas? Yeah, and, and Chase, his facility manager, and myself were... Justin's facility manager. Yes. We're, yeah, Chase Patton. We were sitting back and watching Justin observe some of Earl's snakes. Yeah. And it's just funny. And figure them out. Made. Just, just the way he was looking at it, it just, it screamed... Wine sommelier, nosing in a glass, looking at the legs, mm-hmm. and washing. It, it was just that. It was exactly. I was watching. We were well, on the other side. It's of another the, good one. A wine sommelier. Yeah, we were watching. I was like, "That's yeah, that's what he's doing. He's yeah. he's nosing the he's." Well, he's, if it's if it's wine, you're appreciating the flavor, the and and when you know more about it, you can appreciate it more. Like the earth, those grapes, they were grown on a south facing slope in this kind of soil or whatever, and, and it brings a richness to what you're doing. So Justin appreciates a richness of ball python genetics that few of us can understand. True. And it, it's not difficult, but it takes a dedication Time. of life resources to it. And he gets that. So for me, I like the, re- like, you know me, I, I like the localities more than the morphs because the localities to me are something that came from a physical place on the planet, a place that I dream about and have never been to, but feel very connected to because I understand its inhabitants through my animals. A little bit of that is lost in the morph thing because those are now, people say you can't domesticate snakes, but they are domesticated. Oh, absolutely. And so the domesticated ones don't have that same, that's that's also why you hear me say this all the time. I kind of like the snarky ones. I like the ones that don't automatically like me. You know what I mean? I, I don't like the, the white picket fence personality animals where, oh, it's a great educational animal. Or is its temperament going to be awesome to me no matter how I am to it? I, I, I like to earn it. You know? And that's also why I love wild venomous snakes. They're my favorite because you have to give them a drink during a drought or handle them very specifically you know what I'm saying to to relate with them I, oh I love it I just, I'm just giving me goosebumps just talking about it what a great weekend uh, absolutely man is your cup empty because you need to try some of this no I, I poured myself like extra like I 
gift. I keep forgetting I poured myself some, and I had a very large glass. Clint. <laughs> i tell you, I still have like three big sweats. It's not empty yet. I know. All right, okay. Fair enough. You need to try this. Oh. Dude. Which one am I trying? Oh, Stag Jr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would refer to as Eagle Rare on steroids. <laughs> Eagle Rare on steroids. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was just Eagle Rare's other brother. Nah. George T. Stag. This is George T. Stag's little brother, but <laughs> this Stag Jr. is still Eagle Rare's. Uh, this is the one you always told me. If you see a bottle of Stag Jr., you just buy it. Yes, that's what I told you. Well, as long as it's not too expensive. Mm. So, so one of the things I've learned about bourbon, and even in those poker nights that I went to, there was a couple of bourbon aficionados there. I, there's a couple of guys that own very like high-end bars that serve bourbon specifically. They're like bourbon-focused like bars. My kind of people. I told them, I said, I have a guy for you to meet the next time he comes to Pittsburgh. But um, that was the guy I almost won the three bottles of Rip Van Winkle off of. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to go down there sometime. I, they said that they would sponsor the podcast at some point, too. So I'll have to get right. back together with them and hold them to it. Sounds good. Maybe we'll get some Rip Van Winkle. Or maybe even some Pappy. <laughs> Sorry, same thing. Because I'm somewhat <laughs> old Rip. Ooh. Or some Pappy. Some Pappy 15. Yeah, that's a lot more than this old Forester. Yeah, sorry, you went from it's 93 to... Yeah, you went <laughs> that from 90, opens up you, all the pores. You just jumped 40 proof, my friend. <laughs> Still very good flavor, though. Very smooth. Just a lot higher alcohol content. Yeah. It's that cask strength. Boy, so Brian, I don't... What, what episode is this? How many? 21. Podcasts? 21 Legally episodes. Legally able to drink now. Right. That's why we did the Clint thing. <laughs> cheers. Oh, Cheers. <laughs> So here's my last question. What's next? Arlington. NARBC. NARBC. The first reptile, maybe not for you, the first reptile show that I will be attending since COVID. That's yeah. not the first for me. Not first you, but first for me. But it's the first big one. for, And, I mean, yeah, that qualifies as big. Big one. Yeah. Not the biggest. Not the biggest, but... You and me need to go to Ham. Sure. I think that's next. All right. Well, hey. that's... No, next is Arlington. Okay. <laughs> but... Chronologically. But, no, I, I think we need to get out of the country and do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go see some from an, another cultural oh, lens. Oh, yeah. Well, I need to go see my sister. She's too. in Germany? She's in Belgium. Mm. That's not ham. I know, but it can be a pit stop for at least me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Let's do it. All right. Clint. Searchable as a reptile.